Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Timothy chapter number four. We are continuing in our five crowns series. We have spoke about the crown of life, the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness. And uh, up to this point, I believe all three of those is the same. Amen. Going to turn to Second Timothy chapter number four. Going to read verses six through eight to give us a little base here to launch from. The Bible says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to his son in the gospel, Timothy. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Paul said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Again, we've looked at the crown of life, the incorruptible crown tonight. We want to consider the crown of righteousness more so. The way that we live our lives in order to receive such a crown. More so uh, that, again, we don't have a lot of details of these per se crowns, material, or anything like that. Uh, But we do understand that there are some things and details and guidelines and information that is given to us about the way that life is lived in order to be granted such a crown. And so we're going to look at that here this evening, the crown of righteousness. Father, I love you tonight. God, we are so appreciative, Lord, once again, to be in your house, to turn our minds and our hearts, Lord, in a direction toward your word. I pray, oh Lord, bring an enlightenment, God, upon our spirits, understanding, Lord Jesus, for us tonight. God, as we delve into the scriptures one more time, God, for in them, Lord, they are the words of life. I pray, God, it is a living word, an eternal word. God, I want to accept to the soul in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. The crown of righteousness. Last week we ended uh, really making a connection with the passage that I just read in your hearing tonight. That's kind of, I kind of left you there dangling. Uh, kind of brought you to this passage because as we studied the incorruptible crown last week in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul had been making an analogy about his Christian walk and his Christian journey, how that was similar to a literal boxing match or a race uh, that occurred in the Grecian Olympic days of of his culture and of his time. And in both of those events, whether it's a boxing match or whether it is a race, in both of those events, Paul told us that there is only, in a literal sense, there's only one winner. Only one individual is allowed to have or get the crown, that crown of victory that for the most part it's made out of vegetation, leaves, flowers, twigs, everything that's going to fade and perish the moment you pluck it from the earth, it's dying. 
So it's a corruptible crown. But he was comparing that to our Christian walk where we are going to get a incorruptible crown. And how in our experience, namely, that as we strive to run or we strive to exercise, we strive to do that To We strive to get to the finish line. And if we do, all of us, those that do, will receive a crown that is incorruptible. So only one person in the real world. But in the Christian world, if you strive to make it to the end, then you will receive a crown that is non-perishable, enduring as well. Those metaphors and those analogies of a race and of a boxing match that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 9 lead us really to our text here in 1 Timothy chapter number 4 tonight because Paul again picks up on these very same analogies of a fight or a race that is to be won. He's though depicting the fight and the race of his own life. He is getting personal with us about his own fight and his own race. And the way that he talks about it in scripture is that it is a fight that he's fought. In other words, he's come to the completion of it. It is a course that he has finished. He's come to the completion of it. And he describes them as complete because Paul has an awareness about death being nigh and close to him. His death is imminent. He understands it could happen at any time. I understand to some degree that that could be the case for any of us. But Paul, with great certainty, knows that his hour of reckoning is upon him. And there are just a few dynamics at play here. If you were to read the first eight verses of, of, of 2 Timothy, actually chapter number 4, because Paul has made these athletic event comparisons here again in the Scripture. And he's doing this, and he's talking about his own journey that he is on, all right? But some of the few dynamics at play here is that he's focusing in on his own event as though it were finished. And while he's talking about his own event, race and fight, as though it was finished, he is also encouraging his son in the gospel, Timothy, to continue and to stay loyal to his course that he is running to stay loyal to the journey that is still ahead of him. And then Paul shed some light on uh, the fact that there will be some people who will not run the race according to the rules and the regulations of the race. There will some that will abandon it altogether and there will be others that will, if you will, hit the foul lines on each side in the process of trying to run their race. And he also even mentions one man in particular by name who forfeited and abandoned, if you will, the race altogether. And so at different times when Paul made these athletic event comparisons, again, there's sometimes that he was on his own journey. There were some times that, that he was on one of his three missionary journeys, all right, going from place to place, establishing churches in different cities. But there were other times that he spoke about this and he spoke about the reward being a crown, that he was suffering the hardship of an arrest. He may have been not physically going anywhere in the time, but he was incarcerated, house arrest, or perhaps even in prison. And the amazing thing is this, as he talks to us about the crowns that he has spoken to us about and the the way that you should live your life in order to receive or be awarded such a crown, here he may have been in prison for some of these times, but he still 
in spite of what's going on in his life, he is upholding the rules of the game, so to speak. He was still being faithful to his race, though he was in not the most uh, comfortable conditions of being in prison or in house arrest. He was still holding true to the rules of the game, unlike some other people of his time and of his culture. In other words, Paul didn't say, well, things are bad right now, so it's owed to me that I can somewhat have a little bit of flux in how the game's played. No, regardless he was imprisoning, regardless that he had accusations that were negative and wrongfully against him, he was still holding true to the rules of the game of his Christian walk, his Christian run, so to speak. But in this moment, the Apostle Paul is keenly aware that it's just a matter of time before he dies. He is sitting right now in a Roman jail, and he knows that there's not going to be a release this time. Uh, There's not going to be an angel come and deliver him. He knows that there's not going to be a release. So he's near death. And here's the fact of the matter. Paul is near death and he is okay with that. And he's okay with that because he has run his race. He's okay with the possibility of death because he has fought his fight. But more importantly than just having fought his fight and ran run his race, he has kept the faith in doing so. In other words, Paul has a clear conscience. Death is coming. I know it's near. I know it's not. I know life on this earth is just about over. But when I die, it's not if, but when I die, I'm going to die with the consolation that I've ran the race I was supposed to run. And I fought the fight according to the rules and regulations of the fight. I have kept the faith in regard. I have not wavered. And so he's not there, you know, wringing his hands. He's not fretting because he can look back over his shoulder and look at the course he's just finished. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Folks, it, will, it, it does well to have consolation whenever death is nigh that we've ran our race and that we fought our fight prescribed to the regulations of the fight, prescribed according to the regulations of the run, that with a clear conscience we can say it's okay if I'm taken now because I know where my feet have went, where my mind has gone, how I... Oh, yes! Hallelujah. He's okay with all these things. He's, it's somewhat similar, and I'm trying to do a little tying together of the crowns here, okay? It's a little bit similar, if you will, to the church of Smyrna. Whenever we looked at the crown of life, remember, they were the church in the book of Revelation. The Bible says, you that have been faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. In other words, there is a crown awaiting you because your faithfulness extended all the way to The day of your death. You remember we kind of talked about a marriage. You remember being faithful to your spouse all the way to? Huh? He said you were faithful to the day of your death. And so what was described as a crown of life to them in Smyrna here in 2 Timothy, amen, is described as a crown of righteousness for Paul. Yet it still is underscoring the same faithfulness. The same faithfulness. The reason why, again, I don't necessarily see these as individual crowns, but descriptions the same, descriptions of the same crown. Paul remained faithful. He remained remained faithful to the match. He remained faithful to the race. 
as the message Bible states, it says it like this. This is the only race worth running. And the Bible says that he fought a good fight and that he had finished his course. He kept his he had kept the faith. The message Bible says it is the only race worth running, because whenever you look at the words in Second Timothy four about he fought a good fight. That's not because of the fighter. The good is not describing the fighter. The good is describing the fight. The good fights not because of the fighter, but because of the fight. The mission itself was good. It was worthy. It was meaningful. <laughs> In other words, it was the only fight worth fighting. Someone say amen. Paul said it's the only race worth running. It's the only fight worth fighting. Amen. We, we need to hone in on the fight that is worth fighting. The race that is worth running. If we're going to expend our energies, give of our time and of our resources to it, we need to make sure it's the good fight. The good race, the one that is worth fighting, the one that is worth running. Many in Paul's day, and even ours, if I could say for that matter, have concerned themselves with events and things that don't matter. Races that don't matter. Matches that don't matter. Things that have no eternal purpose. No eternal reward attached to them. Amen. There's a lot of good fighters that's involved in everything except a good fight. What are you saying? I'm saying they're people with tenacity. They're people with intelligence, zeal. But they're just involved in the wrong fight. Amen. Good to the core fighters. But they need to, we need to get the good fighters in the good fight. Amen. And keep our focus there because there's really only one. We're fighting. So Paul did well. He did well in the race as he, as he conveys to us. Uh, in, in an analogy type of way, he, he did well in the boxing match, namely because he finished or stayed with it until the end. Right? He did well because he finished. He did well because he completed it. We have the New Testament scripture that says, he that endureth to thee, the same shall be. There's something about finishing. Amen? A lot of people could boast starting a race. Zach, a lot of people could boast, I lifted once. But who shows up systematically every week? You hear what I'm saying? A lot of people could boast about starting. But has anybody finished? Finished it. He stayed with it until the end. And here's the thing. Since he fought past tense his fight, and since he finished past tense his course, and he's come to the end. There was only one thing left on the itinerary to happen. Receive his reward. The Bible says in verse 8, henceforth. The word henceforth simply means this. What remains, in other words, what remains is this. What remains is there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Receiving the reward was the only thing left, if you will, on the list or the itinerary for the Apostle Paul. The Message Bible says it like this, and I liked how it stated this. It says, all that's left now is the shouting. God's applause. <laughs> huh? 
You might be tired when you cross, but there's also a little excitement. I did it! Huh? Now we're, now, we're not in the Christian life looking at everybody saying, you lost, you're the loser, and all that stuff. No, no, no. But you are crossing with somewhat of an exuberance because you know the miles you have traveled. You know the uphill and the downhill. You know the climate and the weather that you've been through. And to cross and say, hey, 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 there's only one thing left for me now. That's the reward. That's the... Cr-. Someone say Amen. The crown, that crown, or that reward, he said, is laid up for me. Laid up. It is reserved. It is preserved for me. Because I finished, and because I ran the race in the manner in which it was to be run, according to the regulations. There's been people cross the finish line that didn't become the winners because the way they ran the race, they disqualified themselves from winning. Oh, God. Amen. So namely, Paul finished, but he finished having stayed within the guidelines of the regulation. He ran it in the manner in which the race should have been run. He fought the battle in the manner in which the battle should have been fought. And so there is laid up, there is reserved, there is preserved for Paul a crown of righteousness held in reserve, could I say, for the finisher that abided by the rules is a crown. For that matter, it's laid up for the finishers. Again, not the starters. Finishers. It is a crown of righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. The Williams translation, I got enough translations to make you bleed out ears. The Williams translation says, speaking of the crown, the, the description, the crown of righteousness, now the crown for doing right awaits me. Now the crown for doing right awaits me. Formally, I didn't know this till this week, but formally the word righteousness was spelled R-I-G-H-T-W-I-S-E-N-E-S-S. It was spelled right wiseness, which really expresses a little bit of its meaning. Right wiseness. Because righteousness in the broad sense means basically this. It's the state, listen to me very closely. It is the state of him who is such as he ought to be. Or the condition acceptable to God. It describes a life that is lived in a right relationship with God together with its moral and ethical qualities. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. Righteousness. And note, (laughs) a crown of righteousness, Paul says, it's laid up for me and it's going to be given to me by a righteous judge. A righteousness crown is going to come from a righteous judge. Let me tell everybody here tonight. God is going to get it right, I guarantee you, concerning who he gives crowns to. At the award ceremony, he's not going to hand out an award, a crown, to someone that doesn't have it coming to him. Not going to make any mistakes. 
Whenever Abraham, in the Old Testament of Genesis 18, whenever Abraham pondered what God was purposing to do concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, it seemed like they've been popping up a lot here with me and you all here lately. But nonetheless, it must be on my brain for some reason. He said this, Genesis 18, verse 25, that be far from thee, Genesis 18, 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. This is when Abraham has already asked if he would spare the city for 50 righteous. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Notice this little phrase, Abraham says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He knew the character of the Lord, that the judge of all the earth, he's going to do right. You don't know how many times that little verse right there, that little phrase right there, I've used in people's lives whatever tragedy and turmoil and they've lost a loved one and they're wondering about heaven or hell for that person. I just tell them this, the same thing that Abraham told God, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, they might have a certain definition of right in their mind, but I'm talking about right according to God. And I just leave them, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Right according to God's standards. I don't go into and do start explaining all of it, but they need something for a consolation. That's the consolation I give them and still yet walk in line with the word. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Because again, right is as God defines righteousness, not as we define right. Not as we define good. Mike, one time I read this this week that one time that Babe Ruth argued with an umpire over a strike that was called on him. And this is what Babe Ruth said to the ump. He said, there are 40,000 people here who know that last one was a ball tomato head. And ump Pinelli replied, maybe so, but mine is the only opinion that counts. So it doesn't matter what your mama calls right. It don't matter what your husband says is right. It don't matter what culture says is right. It doesn't matter what the President of the United States says good. There's only one opinion in this thing that counts, and that's the righteous judge. What he calls right, what he calls good, what he calls acceptable, you need to halo your rope around that because that's right. Amen. It don't matter what generations in your family said was okay. Your family's not up there opening the pearly gates for you. Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Luke, in the book of Acts, called Cornelius, of the Italian band, a devout man. As a matter of fact, if you read... Acts chapter number 10, Cornelius, the Bible says plainly, feared God, gave alms to the people, and consistently prayed to God. Apologize just for a moment. That's better than some people who call themselves a Christian. That's better than some people who are apostolic. I didn't really mean to do this. By human standards, Sister Jessup, Cornelius was a good man. Even some may have considered him, Brother Fred, a righteous man because of his respect to God and his prayer consistently to God. But God still sent Peter ahead to preach to Cornelius, the good man, 
about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now note, Acts 10, verses 42 through 44, Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his household, and he says in verse 42, and he, speaking of Jesus, that's who he's referring to with the he, and he commanded us, Peter says, to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. So Peter's telling Cornelius, Cornelius, Jesus is the one that is the judge of the quick, which means living, of the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So Peter here is talking to Cornelius now about remission of sins. He's talking to a good man about that. A praying man about that. A given man about that. Because Peter was getting outside the box. That your goodness don't do it. Your label, societal label, don't do it. Let me talk to you about remission of sins. Now look, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. So Peter tells Cornelius that Jesus will be the judge, the righteous judge of the living and of the dead. He tells this devout good man about remission of sins. And while Peter is preaching the word, the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and his household. Someone say, that's great. We're still talking about this righteousness aspect. Look now real quickly, Titus 3 and verse number 5. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. We talked about that a little bit Sunday night, didn't we? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, now walk with me here a little bit. We've been talking about righteousness a little bit. On Sunday mornings, we kind of hit on it. Whenever we talked about faith and repentance, I believe it was, or about sin, nonetheless. And we talked about how, remember, that there's none righteous, no, not one, the book of Romans says. How Isaiah talked about that our righteousness is as filthy rags, all right? But whenever God reconciled, whenever God bridged the gap between him and us, he reconciled us to himself, he did so by the man Christ Jesus. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that he did not impute our transgressions to us, meaning he did not lay our transgressions on our account. He didn't lay them on our account. But this is what he said in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. For he, God, hath made him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Someone say amen. Look now at Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. What? In the Holy Ghost. So, the writers agree. It's not by works of our own righteousness that we have done, but it's by the, the washing, if you will, of the water, the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's, it is, if you will, not being having the transgressions imputed to us, but rather, amen, us, because God, because Christ took the sin upon himself that we could be made in the righteousness of him, and that righteousness is in our lives by virtue of receiving the Holy Ghost in our lives. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we are right. Righteous 
We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, we are made righteous of God when we are in Jesus Christ by our baptism and the Holy Ghost is in us by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. All right? So everybody's saying, well, ticket done. Honk, honk, good. Crown of righteousness is mine. I get filled with the Spirit. It's righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It's not by righteousness, my works of righteousness. It's all about Him. So, boom! There you go, Brother McGee. Sign me up for a crown. Put me on the list. Just stay with me a little bit. It's interesting to me that the preach word, while it was being preached, Cornelius, who was a good man, got the Holy Ghost. Which is important because you'll notice here in 2 Timothy 4 that as Paul starts to talk to Timothy in the beginning of this particular chapter, he's talking to him about preaching the word. Because the preach word helps inspire and bring about this Holy Ghost transformation that even happened in Cornelius' life in our own life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable among all the other things it's profitable for. It says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. So no doubt one, one reason, I say one, there's others, but one reason then why Paul urges Timothy in verse number two to preach the word. Because the word is instrumental. It's useful for instruction in righteousness. And it's that righteousness and that living a life of righteousness that's going to help us secure a crown of righteousness. Look now, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, I charge thee therefore. You see the therefore, you're looking back. Why does he say therefore or because of? He's charging him because in the latter portion of verse number three, he's just talked about how that scripture, amen, that the scripture breathed of God is useful for instruction in righteousness. And he says, as a result of that, he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge, here we go again, the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, I charge thee, verse two, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So you're reproving, you're rebuking, exhorting, or if you will, encouraging. So we've got both sides of the coin, the reproval side and the encouraging side. So Paul wants Timothy to be diligent in his preaching the word, again, because it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. And we as a people are striving for a crown of righteousness. That the righteous judge will give to us, Paul said, on that day. That day is the day of his appearing that's mentioned in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter number 4. You'll notice both in verse 1 and verse 8, in both of those instances, whenever Paul is speaking about the Lord, he is speaking, to him, speaking of him as he is the judge of that day, the day of the appearing of the Lord. Now watch this. Listen to me very closely right here. The judge that awards the crown is the same judge that witnesses what has been preached and taught to us in this life. Look at verse 1 again. I charge thee, Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead in, the, in his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. 
He's saying, as you preach, you're preaching with the audience of heaven. The judge of the all earth. Listening and considering. That same person who's witnessing what the people are hearing now is the same person responsible for awarding the crowns in the end. If I could say it like this, then the Lord knows, Mariah McGee, that whenever judgment day comes for you, he knows what instruction in righteousness you received in your time upon this earth. And he knows then whether or not we have lived our lives according to the instruction in righteousness that we have received from his word. And he will know without doubt then whether a crown of righteousness is suitable For me, for you, Paul is wanting Timothy to preach the word for the instruction and righteousness. And since these people are walking along upon the earth, he's trying to have them preach the word so he can combat the time. That people in our minds, we waver and we sway and people start to consider walking away from the race. People consider throwing in the towel in their boxing match, so to speak. He he wants him to preach the word whenever people would wish to disembrace from the things of God and embrace the things that are false that may jeopardize their crown. See, the word of God can instruct you in righteousness. It can tell you how to be saved. It can tell you how to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We're great. That's awesome because there's righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Right? It's not according to my righteousness, but it's because of the why. Oh, yes, God, sign me up. But not only does the word tell you how to be saved or how to be filled with the Holy Ghost, it also tells you all throughout the epistles, amen, how to live your life after you receive the spirit of the Holy Ghost. tell you this that Paul in the end of his race in the end of his course is receiving saying a crown of of righteousness is laid up for me number one because he had been made righteous amen by God by the infilling of the Holy Ghost but also because he continued to conduct his life as a servant to that spirit that he had received No, 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 no. Look at it here. Romans 6 and verse 13. Neither yield. Don't aid or assist. Neither yield. Give up yourself, ye your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Once you receive the Holy Ghost... God doesn't enter your life as a dictator. He does not. He has wishes and desires. And you still have wishes and desires and choices and decisions. Oh, yes. And so every day, although I've received the Holy Ghost, and there's righteousness in the Holy Ghost, it's about if I'm going to walk in the Spirit that day or not. I'm going to live in the Spirit that day whether I'm going to yield or surrender my body, my life in that day to the works of unrighteousness 
or surrender it to the spirit that I received to become members and instruments of righteousness. Someone say amen unto God. Because then otherwise, why would Paul told good old sweet Timothy? Timothy, I'm just letting you know something here, buddy. Not everyone, even though you preach it, not everyone's going to endure sound doctrine. Let me put it in these terms. Not everybody's going to follow the instructions of righteousness. For that matter, he said, there will be some that will seek them out teachers according to their lust. What's that mean? According to their own desires. He says, as a matter of fact, some are even going to turn from the truth and they're going to turn toward fables, absolute lies. The Living Bible says it like this. He says, they will look for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. Read the billboard of today's society. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me whatever's going to make me feel good. Write about myself. Don't want to feel no sandpaper. Don't, don't want to feel uneasy. Don't want to feel conviction. Tell me what I want to hear. I tell you what I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And in order to hear that then, I'm going to have to settle for hearing some things I don't really care much about right now. Look, the NIV says to suit their own desires. The New American Standard says teachers in accordance to their own desires. The English Standard Version says teachers to suit their own passions. <laughs> the creature comforts. So, oh, God, help me. Because, see, we live in the age now. I got to be able to go to a church that I'm comfortable at. If they don't have the right programs or if they don't have the right teaching, if they don't tell enough good stories that make me laugh. I don't want anybody to be up there to get serious about the word of God. I want us all to look at rainbows and smell flowers and go down the yellow brick road and follow it all the way to heaven. Hogwash. You done become a tin man without a heart and a scarecrow without a brain. And you don't have no courage, lion. Jesus. So Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, some's going to listen. And others are not. Some's going to embrace the truth. And others going to turn away from it. But, understood you, you, Timothy, endure afflictions. And do the work of an evangelist. And make full proof of thy ministry. He says, some's going to do this, some's going to do that, but you, run your race. But you, fight your good fight. But you, stay focused. But you, don't get distracted. But you, run it honorably. But 
you live righteously. But you. Honey, can I tell you, don't matter what everybody else is doing, but you run your race. But you fight your fight. But you live it in accordance with God's word and God's spirit. But you. See, there's somewhat of a connection with the things that we learned about the crown of life. Because remember, it was a crown for people that were tempted. James said, every man, he is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and entice. Huh? It was a crown for people that were tempted. But people who endured their temptation it wasn't the fact of the temptation it was the fact that they endured because everybody's tempted but that he endured those temptations it was a crown if you remember the crown of life was a crown for the people that struggled to win the battle each day over their lust and desires but did there's a connection here then with that and this crown of righteousness again look at verse number 8 There's a phrase here that's contrasting the natural races, the natural competitions that were below in the culture of Paul's time. Paul says, the crown of righteousness, he said, would not be given to me only. We've seen this just even last week. But to all those that love his appearing. I like this. So it's reserved for those that finish the race, that stay within the proper regulations of the race, to have a righteous spirit but live a righteous life. And it's reserved for those that love, which that word literally means that set their hearts on his appearing. The word love is agapeo, from the word agape that we talk about, the love of God, the unconditional love of God. It's from that word and it's used, this don't mean anything to you, but let me tell you why it's important. It's used here in the Greek in the perfect tense, which means this, for love. It means then, since it's in the perfect tense, that sometime in the past, they fell in love with his appearing, and they were still loving it now. <laughs> so it's talking about they fell in love, and they're still in love. We need some people to fall in love and stay in love. Oh, yeah, the, the, the problem with one of the churches of, of, in the book of Revelation is that they needed to go back to their first love. They had fell in love, but somewhere along the way they had quote-unquote fell out of love. And they need to get back in love with their first love. Amen. He's saying these people, amen, the, the crown is reserved for are those that fell in love with the Lord somewhere along the way. And you know what? They're still loving him. Oh, yeah. Someone say amen. Mm. See, again, if you remember in our crown of, of, of life lesson, it was our first one. Remember whenever I said, I said it at the ending of, of the lesson, how the crown of life could really, really almost be termed a crown of love. Because it was awarded to those that were faithful to God unto death. 
and to those who endured temptations of their own desires. And that their faithfulness and their endurance were nothing more than proofs of their love for God. Because to be faithful, you're faithful to something. You're loving something. To endure, your, to endure the temptations, the enticements of your own desires, and go with his desires, you're in love with him. So here, the crown of righteousness is laid up for those that love his appearing. The Living Bible says it like this. Whenever Paul said, not, not to me only, it says, but to all those whose lives show that they are eagerly looking forward to his coming back again. And someone said this. I didn't say this. I couldn't find who the author of this was, but someone said it like this. Listen, very. I, I only got, you know, about 30 more minutes. No, no. Someone said it like this. Who or what you are looking for tomorrow will determine what or who you are living for today. Only a person longing for his appearing will live like he could appear today. I'm loving his appearing. And people that are loving his appearing are living like they're loving him right now. In one essence, if you're afraid of him coming back, then you're probably afraid about how you're living life right now. I like the old gray-headed saints. As they get closer to death, yeah, they're just waiting, man. They, they're just like they're almost vying for the day when their, amen, body is going to give up its ghost. They're just waiting. Why? Because they're like, Paul, I know the race I've run. I know the fight that I fought. Honey, there's nothing negative about that's ahead. It's glory. It's reward time. It's all over but the shouting. So what we love is what we will embrace. Paul, very briefly, in the next couple of verses, after verse number 8 of 2 Timothy 4, Paul, very briefly, turns and mentions a man by the name of Demas, verse 10, who had a misplaced love. For Demas, he tells Timothy, had forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's forsaken me because he's love. He's not loving the appearing. He's not loving the there and then. He's loving a portion of the here and now. And if you love too much the here and now, you might forfeit the there and then. Paul said he forsook me. Let me tell something to everybody. He said he forsook me. Let me tell you a little principle here from verse number 10. Don't take a person whenever people forsake you. It could just be that they don't love the same things that you love anymore. Demas embraced what he loved. He ran, if you will, a different race. A race that if he did not alter his way, Consequently, could never lead to a crown of righteousness. 
you'll stand with me. I'll bring this to a close. Just a, a few more verses of scripture we'll close out with. Philippians chapter number one, verse number six. Think of these and how they may pertain to the crown of righteousness and the things that we've talked about tonight, righteousness and love and running according to the regulations of the race and such. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. I believe whenever I received the Spirit of God that it was a good work that was begun in me. Will perform it through me by me living righteously until the day of Jesus Christ, until his appearing. Verse 9, and this I pray, the Apostle Paul said to those at Philippi, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. You know what he's saying? Live righteously. Approve. Put the seal of approval on those things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense. Because if you're going to go after your own desires, guess what? You've offended. It's living with offense. You're going to have to live without offense. You're going to have to ignore your desires. You're going to have to abide by the rules till the day of Christ, his appearing. How do we do this, Bishop? Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. That doesn't mean you do nothing. That means you allow Christ to do through you what he desires to do. I close. Another little translation just here at the very end. God's word translation renders just a portion of verse 8 of our text like this. The prize, he's talking about that crown of righteousness. The prize, Paul says, that shows I have God's approval is now waiting for me. It's the crown of of righteousness. Call it the crown of righteousness. Call it the crown of life. Call it the incorruptible crown. Nonetheless, there is this thread woven through them all of faithfulness, enduring temptations, abiding according to the rules, needing the righteousness of God, and living out that righteousness in our life. It is that whole ball of wax, ladies and gentlemen. That whole whole spectrum of description that is necessary for the reward. Can we bow our heads here tonight? Can we bow our heads here tonight? I feel prompted to open this altar tonight for somebody that needs perhaps to pray or just talk to God. Open this altar this evening. I don't want to leave tonight without extending an opportunity for prayer in this place. Whoever we may be, if it's just touching base with God and saying, God, I want my finish to be as the Apostle Paul. I want to have fought the good fight. I want to have finished my course and to have kept the faith through it all. I don't want to be a good starter, but not a good finisher. God, I don't want, Lord Jesus, to have, Lord, and hear the word of God that instructs me in righteousness and to be filled with the spirit of God in which righteousness, peace, and joy is in. I don't want to have all that and then not live out righteousness in my life, oh God. 
God, you are the judge that witnesses, Lord, what has come to me upon this earth, and you will be the one that will either extend or withhold, Lord, a crown of righteousness in that day of your appearing. God, I want to love your appearing. I want to stay in love with you. I want, Lord, there to be something being laid up for me, prepared, preserved, and reserved because of the manner in which I am running my race. I got a goal. I got a focus. I'm not going to be distracted by others around me. I'm not going to allow them to weigh in on my life and say, well, that's good. You're doing good enough. No, no, no. I'm going to judge my life according to the judge of heaven and his word, those instructions of righteousness. I'm going to let those be my guides and those be the principles by which I I order my life. Can we tonight, Brother Mason, if you can come, please, as many as would. Can we just fill in these altars tonight? Amen. Whether you think it applies to you, doesn't apply to you, it don't matter. Amen. Let's just find a place to pray tonight. God, oh God, we want to have run our race and fought, Lord, our fight. I pray, oh God, help us to take, Lord, the encouragement and the admonition, Lord, of Paul. God, that we would endure, Lord, some things that we would do the work, God, that we would not be among those, Lord, that would disembrace the truth and, Lord, heap to ourselves teachers to our own liking that will say what we want to say, that will, Lord, play the right tune so that we can dance, so to speak. No, no, but, God, we want there to be conviction. We want, Lord God, there to be conviction and reconsecration at points along the way in our life. God, I pray, Lord, that steers us, Lord, in a sound direction. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Is somebody in love with his appearing right now? Do you remember when you first fell in love with it? Are you still in love with it today? Are you not in love with it because you are in the balance concerning how you live in life right now? Then, sir, oh ma'am, this is a grand opportunity, if you will, to somehow shim things up. Hallelujah, in a way, straighten things up and fall in love again with the appearing of the Lord. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Oh, he hears our every cry. He hears our every cry. He is a great God, a compassionate God. He is the Lord and the master of our lives. We are his servant. We are, if you will, yielding our members unto and instruments for the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, I'm telling you right now, in an atmosphere like I feel right now in my spirit, God is able to set somebody's feet back on the path that is called straight. God is able to help somebody to turn their life and their vessel around back in the right direction. In an atmosphere like I feel the Holy Ghost right now, God is able to do anything if we would yield to it, if we would give ourselves to it, if we would surrender to it. Yes. Crown of righteousness to be given by a righteous judge whose lies we are walking right now in his presence. He hears what we hear. He heard what you've heard right now in this place tonight. He's heard the instruction of righteousness that's been propagated across this pulpit so many times over the years of the existence of this church. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.